This is episode 140 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, and that's Nature Photographers Network, the ultimate platform for where you can improve your photography and also find like-minded photographers all over the planet. You know, I was scrolling through there, going through the image critiques, and, and this is a place where you can submit your photos and get critiques on them as well. And I was blown away by the quality of photos on this platform. You know, if you're tired of like social media and just scrolling through a lot of images or reels or something like that, join Nature Photographers Network because it's an actual community of photographers who are aiming to help each other improve. Not only do you have this community at your fingertips, but like I said just a second ago, you have image critiques, you have exclusive articles, exclusive presentations, and much, much more. Better than that, it's only $49 per year, which is only 13 cents per day. And if you want to use the code LPS10, you get an extra 10% off of that $49 a year just for listening to the podcast. So go ahead and head over to naturephotographers.network and sign up for that yearly membership using the code LPS10. Now, in today's episode, it's part two of a two-part series with Mads Peter Iverson, and, and we talked live on Facebook and YouTube about mastering your composition, and Mads talked a lot in the first part about how you can go about composition and, and improving that. We're going to dive even deeper into composition and how you can improve your composition in this episode, plus how you can apply these things locally to where you live and not have to travel to these extensive places all over the planet. Well, let's let's jump into that topic of Denmark specifically. It's not always a country you hear people rattle off when they're talking about their quote-unquote bucket list locations. Um, what is photography like in Denmark uh, when it comes to, you know, like creative compositions and, and your style and how you're incorporating that into your photography? To begin with, it's extremely frustrating because you have no clue what you're supposed to go and photograph because there's no mountains, no glaciers, Auroras are extremely uh, rare, and yeah, it, it it's not really an explored country in the same sense as let's just the most obvious example is Iceland or Scotland for that matter. Um, it's not really a super popular landscape uh, photography country like uh, Britain, England. Like there's so many landscape photographers over there. There's so many resources on finding really beautiful locations where you can just go and just put your tripod in the exact same place as the other photographers and wait for great light or interesting conditions. Here in Denmark, I've had to really, really uh, explore a lot on my own. There's, of course, a lot of resources. Like we have our nature department too, where, where they have a lot of resources on the different state forests and areas owned by the state. And they're usually very open to public to the public and in that way i can sit back home and research without actually having to go out on location but for the most part i benefit a whole lot from actually going out and researching the place obviously it's also a good idea to like find all the danish photographers and see what they do get inspiration for a specific area and uh yeah so, so in that way, like, you know, the, the, the main thing I really enjoy about Denmark is obviously because I'm a Dane, I can relate to the landscapes. And I think 
that gives me a big thing. But also that it's basically an unexplored country, even though we are such a small country, it is very unexplored. I can find so many original compositions and places and locations that people have never photographed. And I feel I can make world-class photos in Denmark where it is not the landscape that does the job for me. Like if you go to Iceland, like photographing a glacier is always incredible. Glaciers are incredible. Or big iconic mountains are incredible. I would argue that often the landscape does the job for you. But here in Denmark, like you you have to work for it. So in that way, you also feel that you deserve the photo kind of more. Even though I made my career on going to Iceland and photographing all the big places, which I really, really enjoyed back then. I still enjoy it, of course. You get to a big waterfall and just like thunders down in your head. And for me, it's quite exotic because we don't have waterfalls in Denmark. So in that way, I still enjoy that. But it is extremely hard to come away with anything original from like the main most famous waterfalls in Iceland. Whereas in Denmark, if I find some little stream where I can do some long exposure, there's a really big chance that nobody else has done that before me. So I'm I'm watching you talk about photography, composition, going to all these different countries. Uh, and then I see you light up when you talk about photographing Denmark. Has it kind of like re-energized your creativity in, in photography? Absolutely, I would say. Um, I run quite a, uh, ran a quite a lot of workshops in Iceland, and when you do the same workshops and do the same tours, like it's only so many times you can go to the Diamond Beach in Iceland and feel the same awe and wonder as the first time you got there. There's no denying that. I that specific place, I'm still quite excited about going there, but. When it comes to Denmark, for me, it's just like, you know, the, the closer I can get to my childhood home and come away with like photos that I know are unique and interesting and good and have strong compositions. They may not be world-class landscape photographers, uh, for photographs, but for sure, I'm super proud of the work I do. And I think that is something that is definitely driving uh, my enthusiasm for photography so in that way there's always something new to photograph there's also always something new to explore here whereas I, I, my estimated guess is that for locals in Iceland like you know do you, you really have to push the boundaries <laughs> for, for, for what you can uh, to get anything new in, in Iceland or the Faroe Islands for that matter um, which I also really love and, and love going to, but it's it, it's a very small country and there's so many people going there photographing it that it's it is not easy to get original stuff in those those places. I, I have this conversation a lot with people in the United States because I live in a very um, let's say uninspiring area of the eastern portion of the United States, very flat a lot of cornfields. Um, then in the West, of course, you have Rocky Mountains, you have Death Valley, you have the Sierras, uh, just anywhere, any state you go out West. I mean, you can find some awe-inspiring landscape to photograph. But 
pretty much anyone who's photographed both west and east says east is much harder to photograph but they always feel much more connected to mm -hmm. the compositions that they produce because they had to work that much harder for them and a lot of the areas are unexplored um like you were talking about the the icelandic waterfalls or giant booming waterfalls here they're little like trickling mountain streams we don't really have you know huge waterfalls we have some um for you I i'm curious in, in terms of the denmark landscapes uh was the pandemic something that pushed you in that direction because you couldn't travel that much mm, it, it's funny because i've been asked about that before if, if the pandemic forced me to be in denmark i would say no because i had already mm -hmm. discovered that I could actually do really great photography in Denmark. I did that all the way back in like the winter of 2019. That was where I got my first, where I was like, whoa, I captured this lighthouse that is placed in a dune in a snowstorm. So it's super minimal, super dramatic and very unique. And that was where I was like, whoa, okay, I can actually do awesome stuff in Denmark. And from there... It was just a question about like exploring because I'd already had the enthusiasm. So I like started putting in the energy and the time in actually trying to figure out if I can do more of this and I could. So in that way, um, I would definitely say that the way I think what is possible has changed. It was also in the same time where I really got, got hooked on forest photography, which I think for a lot of landscape photographers can be a hard nut to crack. Uh, what actually works uh, but like for me the, the the one one main thing for forest photography that would probably make it work for you is to wait for some fog <laughs> because it just simplifies the forest so so much and when you actually have that i would say that the compositions really start to jump out on you um, then you can always like talking about light having light beaming in and having light light up specific subjects and so forth but for forest photography definitely fog and it's also just because for me one thing i've been talking thinking about over the past years is that even though i just i call myself a landscape photographer and I really enjoy landscapes i really find that it's landscapes with atmosphere so i think there's a french photographer Alexandre Duchesne or Duchemes or something like that. I think actually he calls himself an atmospheric photographer. And I can very much relate to that. Uh, I seek out atmosphere. And it doesn't have to be fog or mist. It can also be rain and thundering clouds or snowstorms or all those things. But that, that there's some something happening in the photo. Uh, and that is usually a, around the atmosphere. Uh, is, is a big part of my... Of, of the way I think photography. And then obviously sometimes, like, you know, if you find a composition, fog is definitely not what you want because you can't see the scene. So you have to maybe wait for some, maybe another type of fog, some local low hanging mist or something like that. Or yeah, maybe not fog. I don't know. So it's not always that you, you want that.
Real quick, I want to tell you about today's sponsor for the podcast, and that's NPN. And then we're going to get back to our discussion with Mads. NPN is Nature Photographers Network. You can go to naturephotographers.network and sign up for $49 per year to this exclusive group where you're going to get exclusive content because of that and have direct access to professional photographers all over the planet who are waiting for you to submit your images for critiques and how to get better. And you can find exclusive articles webinars, things like that on there as well. You can go to naturephotographers.network and sign up for $49 per year. And because you're listening to the podcast, you can get an extra 10% off when you use the code LPS10. And that's only less than 13 cents per day. Again, that's naturephotographers.network code LPS10. Let's get back to my talk with Mads. You know, I'm I'm curious, hearing you talk about your local places might spur an interest for somebody watching or listening about, you know, they want to start photographing more locally themselves. Mm-hmm. What tips would you give them for finding um, not basic compositions, but just really, really dialed in good, simplistic compositions around where they live and, and going out and scouting those? Uh, um. First and foremost, when it comes to scouting, I would say go places where you haven't gone before. Obviously, if you live in a cornfield that is 100 by 100 kilometers, square meters, uh, square kilometers, it can be a little bit hard to go on trails that you haven't gone before because there's probably like only two or three. But at least for me here in Denmark, we have a lot of like country roads and small roads. Like go down those where you haven't driven before. There's, there's surprisingly a lot of roads I've never driven around my hometown of only 50,000 people. So suddenly I just find compositions. I find, oh, there's a lone tree I've never seen in front of a canola field or rapeseed field or whatever you call them in English. And it's just like, because I went down a road I've never been down before. If you go to visit your parents, drive half an hour before and, and and drive on some roads that you usually don't drive. Drive those same roads on the way back because it the landscape looks different on the way back. So in that way, you can drive out and back on roads you haven't driven before. That's a tip. Uh, if you have a dog or if you're out for a walk, go for walks in places you have never gone before, uh, especially in small forests, forest trails. Go on those that you've never gone before. When it comes to what you can do from home is that at the very least in Denmark, we have different regions of Denmark where there are tourist guides. Look into those tourist guides. There's something about what kind of food can you experience in this town, but there's usually also something about what can nature provide in this area. So there's just plenty of things that you can do in regard to composition. I don't think mainly composition when, when, when I explore, I go out, as I said before, to find subjects that I find interesting. And sometimes it's also a composition that's interesting that jumps out on me. But for the most part, I'm trying to find that subject. So I'm not a doubt. So I am not in doubt about what it is I'm photographing when I'm out in the field. And then of course there's just areas where I see that there's a lot of potential. Uh, I went to a place last autumn where I could see on Google Earth, Google Maps, that it was kind of an open area. I could see that there was like trees standing around. There was some lake and and there was 
some grass fields and some trails. And I was like, there's pretty decent chance that this place would actually look really cool during a, a morning with either autumn colors or fog or just a little bit of mist. Even on a clear day where the sun can like, you know, beam down through the trees and create those sunbeams. So without having even explored it, I just went there because I had a pretty good idea that I could probably pull out one or two photos and I came away with like, you know, 15. So it does happen that you find an area where you're just like, there's probably a good potential here. Whether you have explored it or not, go. No, that, yeah, that's a great tip. And I'm glad you mentioned Google Earth because that that's something that I always tell people. It drives me crazy when somebody's like, well, there's nothing to, to photograph around where I live. That That is a, a scapegoat for saying, you know, <laughs> I just don't want to go out and explore. Uh, if you go on Google yeah. Earth, there's a... One, one uh, other tip. Yeah, sorry. Another tip I just thought about is that in Denmark, we're known for our flat country. And a lot of people are like, oh, they're thinking landscape com landscape photography. Then let's think wide angles. But long lenses are extremely good for flat, uh, flat countries, countrysides, because you can zoom into all those details that are very far away. You don't have to use the wide angle to include the entire landscape. You can zoom into parts of the landscapes. And that also helps simplifying the photos. So, sorry, we were talking about Google Earth. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a great one too. You get to seclude areas versus yeah. having a, a lot of negative space. Um, there's a measuring tool in Google Earth where you can draw like a radius around a pinpoint. And I always say like, for me, a three hour drive there is probably a day's trip. It's a long day trip, but you know, three hour drive and back. Um, and you can find so many state forests or, um, you know, natural areas. And, uh, a lot of times I've found a lot of national forests that I've gone to photograph that are very unexplored and great for forest photography. Um, that, that's only... a really great point because in Denmark, we also have like state forests and forests that have been bought by the state or we call them parks or whatever. And especially in the U.S., you have state forests and so forth. There's a reason why it's a state forest. It's because it's an interesting natural place. So there's a decent chance that you can actually pull off some interesting nature photography. That's right. And like more often than not, even if you go and conditions don't work out, you still get to scout and explore that area. And I mean, I always have a lot of fun when I'm out exploring mm -hmm. Exactly. And when you're out, you said you basically f look for subjects first. Um, when those conditions don't work out uh, and you're able to go back again and again, how do you kind of pick and choose whether it's fog or uh, let's say like a snowstorm or storm clouds for the atmospheric effect for your images? Generally, I think like when it comes to fog, it's generally uh, in in areas, forest areas, where you can go into the forest and where you can like. Uh, yeah, speaking of composition, where where you can frame the photo somehow. Uh, I generally, for the most part, prefer to not have fog in the photo that goes all the way up to the top of the frame. It opens the photo up 
too much, if that make, makes sense, opens up the composition. I have mm-hmm. a few. I have like a lone tree in, in a wetland area taking it during fog simply just because I didn't want the background. So I would rather have that photo with fog than having it include with the background included. But for the most part, when it comes to fog, I want to be able to like have at least the canopy or, or some background trees that make sure that the composition goes all, or, or my subjects or the forest goes all the way out to the frame. Um, when it comes to like lone trees on fields, lone subjects and so forth, for the most part, they're so far away that they definitely do not benefit from fog. So that is always where it's interesting to see it in different kinds of light, like big brooming dark storm clouds in the background and then maybe some local light coming in from the side. So like dappled light coming in, super interesting. It just makes the photo much more dynamic uh, than just going out and photographing it on a clear day. And then that being said, like we have all those rapeseed fields, those yellow fields all around Denmark in May. They work great on blue sky days or with a few puffy clouds, simply just because you get that uh, color difference with the yellows and the blues, and it always works really, really great together. That's the thing also with Denmark. Like we are, we are the we are the country in Europe with most farmlands relative to our size. So there's a lot and a lot and a lot of fields here. And I think that's for the most part was why I wasn't super interested in photographing Denmark since I hadn't found all those pearls. Uh, I know that there's there now, but I was just seeing all these fields and it was just like the same kind of landscape all over the place. But um, if you actually start to implement and photographing those farmland fields, you can you can also get some incredible stuff here. Uh, especially yeah, from May and then until before harvest season. And then, of course, during winter when they get covered in snow, it also helps a lot. Just beware of the roads you drive down. Just a little pro tip here. I have gotten stopped by police because I accidentally drove onto a bike path thinking it was a one-laid country road. It was actually a, a bike path, so don't do that. Um, it, <laughs> Is is Denmark relatively flat? Like I hear you talking about like these fields, um, trees, and I've watched some of your YouTube videos on photographing around Denmark. Uh, just curious. Denmark is generally considered as a flat country. Yeah, we do have hills. Um, it's not as flat as uh, on top of my head. Uh, the Netherlands are really, really flat. And some of the Eastern European countries, I've been to Lithuania, that is also like flat as a pancake in big parts of the country. Latvia too. Um, but Denmark, I would say we have like very long rolling hills uh, in in a big part of the country. And then there's some countries, some parts where it's just like completely flat. Southern Denmark, especially around here in Zealand where I live now, in, uh, which is the island where Copenhagen is located. Yeah, but then there's, you can always go to like, you know, uh, Google Maps again uh, and put on the terrain feature and here you can see like okay there are actually hills here and there and, and stuff you can go and explore always look for valleys um, but we have we have hills we, we we don't have cliffs like you know no granite cliffs we have a few uh, clay cliffs they're not very tall and then we have a few uh, mainly chalk cliffs a little bit like the cliffs in southern England we have that 
type of cliffs too here in Denmark, but not a whole lot. So, and it's a really hard place to photograph that I haven't photographed before. I want to photograph it, but yeah, it's probably the most, uh, quote, epic location in Denmark, but I haven't really bothered to go there because I haven't seen that many great photos from there. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm more interested in actually finding places that are not famous in Denmark. Even though I like the famous places, I, I want to to find those small or maybe big but unique places that even Danish landscape photographers doesn't know about. That's funny. You know, everybody is probably like, well, the European landscapes, no cliffs, because it's an older landscape. Well, it's the same age as the entire earth. So it's just different rocks and different formations. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how people like segregate different areas when it's the same age. If, if somebody's mm-hmm. interested, in, and we'll wrap up here, if somebody's interested in following you, um, signing up for a workshop, navigating your eBooks, uh, where can they go to do that and, and follow you more closely? Uh, well, of course, uh, all kinds of social media, everything from Instagram over Twitter, the new, well, kind of new Vero. Um, and then of course, YouTube. YouTube is like my main thing. I make a video each week uh, with different themes. Everything is educational. I share what I do on location, more or less. Like I'm not, each time I take a photo, I say all the settings. But for the most part, people can decipher if they see two or three videos, how I'm thinking uh, when it comes to settings and composition. I share that too. Uh, And then different themes where I dive into, yeah, you know, yeah, different stuff. Not super controversial stuff. I don't really like to provoke people. Um, more I want to enlighten people let's put it like that and uh, yeah sometimes it's a theme about drone photography and then it's a theme about wide angle photography and then there's a theme about like you know how to predict fog or then I just go out sometimes and and just do a regular vlog so yep awesome well, Mads, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and also live on YouTube uh, and on Facebook and just really appreciate your style and your openness and talking and sharing with us about how to improve our photography and, and work on our atmospheric conditions as well. So thank you. Hey, I really hope that you got a lot out of this two-part series with Mads Peter Iverson. If you did not listen to the first part, go back and listen to that because there are more compositional techniques that he shared in that episode. But listening to both of them together, you now know how to up your game when it comes to local photography as well as traveling to extensive places all over the planet and composing a shot as well. Mad shared some really valuable and applicable techniques that you can use right now to improve your photography, and I'm stoked for you because of that. I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode.